Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy! Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron. I am a pastor here. Uh, has anyone ever had something like this happen at home and think, I got this? You know, like maybe this picture? I got this. This is good. I, I got to figure it out. Or maybe like this one, like, I think I could fix that. Okay, so maybe not that extreme, but for real, are there any DIYers out there? Like you do it yourself, DIY projects. Uh, anybody have like said they were a DIY person and then things got worse? You know, like where you had to call someone in. Here's a few examples of projects gone wrong that I stumbled upon this week. So maybe it's this one. Cutting wood on your own. Forewarning, make sure you, have, you check where it's going to fall. That's important. Be aware of where your buddy is, right? Now, I don't mean to poke fun at DIY projects or people who do them, because it's 100% how I am. <laughs> I am personally set on not paying anyone ever to fix anything for me. I'd rather do it myself, pay to get the part or the stuff needed, and learn. But then there are sometimes I just have to, right? Sometimes, like, I just made a mess and things got worse. Like, I've had a plumbing panic before, like where water's spraying everywhere, like this, or even from this last weekend, I like thought I could do it myself, and literally I have like 10 different nuts, none of them are lining up or like screwing on, like part after part, it was just a nightmare. Uh, I have had to deal with frozen pipes and heat not working and having to go in like a crawl space with creepy creatures and like freaky things you don't even know that's down there. I've had to spend eight hours trying to put one stinking nut on a gas line hour, hour, hour. And then I found out it was the wrong size nut, so that happened to me. These are just some examples of my house DIYs gone wrong. But it's not just limited to house projects, though. I'm also the same with other things. I'm, I'm all about learning a new hobby on my own. My style choices, I like trying to figure out like what's in. Uh, I'm a YouTubing expert whenever it comes to something broken on my car or assembling something at home. Uh, when it comes to like finding this thing at a store and you're like, ooh, I think I can craft that myself and like figuring out how to do that on your own. I get sucked into reels on Facebook or Instagram on parenting or relationships or, or uh, leadership. And my theory is I'll suffer through the hard stuff, trying it on my own, trying to be an expert at the end, or even just an average Joe at the end would be fine. And I'm literally, I feel the epitome of the phrase, jack of all trades, expert at none. Now, all these examples I've shared with you that I do or I try on my own are still a bit superficial because there are actually things I have tried to do on my own or myself in my way, but I don't really like sharing them because they've been quite unsuccessful at times. Like I have a DIY approach to fixing things in my relationships. Like with my wife, when I wrong her, I like my, the do-it-yourself mindset for me is, ooh, I'm going to kind of enhance the mood with her. Maybe that'll fix it. That doesn't work, all right? That's the DIY approach for me. Or, or trying to fix her problem for her, and she's like, just listen. Uh, the DIY approach that I have sometimes on running an organization or a team is to micromanage every detail. That doesn't work. Uh, my DIY mental obsession to trying to anticipate every shortcoming and potential negative thing that I could experience or my family could experience so I know how to handle it when it comes by worrying nonstop and never enjoying anything fully. Yeah, I do that and it ruins things for me. 
I have a do-it-yourself approach to friendships by fitting friends in when it's in my schedule, in my time, instead of being an actual friend and accommodating to them. Of all these do-it-yourself or approach to fix things yourself, although some of those have worked for me and gotten me to good places, other times not so much. And I've realized I need clear direction on things in my life. Things besides just doing it my way. Can you relate a little bit? Do you have a DIY type mindset? Or if you've never really identified with that phrase before, do you have a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps type of personality? Like dependent on your might, your ability, your strength, your ideas, your smarts, your resourcefulness. I think a lot of us feel this way. Yet no matter how confident we maybe come across at being this type of person who believes, I'll just figure it out on my own, I'll do it myself. We still have this fear. We still have this fear, this nervousness, this anxiousness. At some point, it just might not work. I think we've all been there, and I think we can all relate to that to some extent. And if you can, I think you can identify with this next person we're looking at in the Bible in our series, Walk This Way. Last week, we studied Mary Magdalene and all the details that kind of we can see in Scripture about her. This week, we're studying Peter and specifically what it looked like for him to embrace the call to follow Jesus. Throughout this series, we've been looking at the Scripture of these early on followers of Jesus and trying to make decisions like them to follow Jesus, to help us know what way we should go or what way we should walk when we choose to follow him. Especially if we can identify with one or two of these characters we look at through this series so that we can know from our personality how to do it well. Have you ever thought, though, I just don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can follow Jesus fully. Like, with my personality, with, with how I'm wired, I, I'm too bad, or I'm too headstrong, or I'm too comfortable in my ways, or I'm just not the religious type. If that's you, throughout the series, you're going to see that a lot of the followers of Jesus were more like you than you think. Through this series, we're also showing some scenes from The Chosen. It's a TV series um, to help paint this relatable picture of what it maybe looks like to actually be a disciple of Jesus. Watching season one of The Chosen before or after the series, it could be helpful in your walk with God. You definitely don't need to watch it to engage with the messages or the sermons here on Sundays. It's just an extra thing that we want you to know is available to you and your family. But before you do maybe consider watching The Chosen, one disclaimer I say each week is is it's a show that's a drama. And that means they intentionally are trying to get people to be entertained in what they watch. They literally say they want people to binge Jesus, as in binge the show like most Netflixers do. So they add in drama and creative elements and they make assumptions on things like any Bible show would do. But you need to make sure that you're checking with your Bible to see if it really actually is true when you watch things like this. Again, today we're talking about the character Peter. And throughout the Bible, we can see Peter goes through this amazing transformation from being a typical guy. It seems a DIY type guy, like he's a fisherman, he's, he then becomes a disciple, and then he becomes an apostle, which last week we, we learned that that's someone who is sent by Jesus to share the good news about him being risen. And then Peter is one who grows then to build God's church to what it is today. Matthew 16, 18, it says this, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus had confidence in him. And this statement, 
it happened, Peter actually became the rock. Peter, after Jesus died and was resurrected, he's known as this rock. He's writing lots of books of the Bible. He's leading people. He's, he's building churches, being this A++++ Christian, if there is such a thing, right? But before this all happened, Peter was nothing. He was nothing. He actually had a number of different names prior to being Peter. And I just want to clarify with you on the names of Peter so that if you're studying on your own, it makes a lot of uh, clarity here. Um, Who Peter is today, Simon was actually his given name at birth, but Jesus gave him the name Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic, which is the language Jesus spoke, and it meant rock. We get the name Peter because rock is is the Greek word for rock, or or, uh, Peter is the Greek word for rock, and Greek is what the New Testament is written in. So today, to put it clearly, we're studying the transformation of Simon to getting to become Peter, a rock for God. But again, how does he get to that point? Because have you ever wondered, like realistically, like how does a person who's a NS or a nonsensical type of person, how does one who does it themselves with all things in life and fights for what they want, how do they choose to submit and follow someone like Jesus? If you've seen The Chosen, Peter, he's kind of portrayed like this. Uh, FYI, I think this video is it's from YouTube, and I'm pretty sure it was just some, somebody fangirling for Peter or the actor. But this is how they kind of portray him, like just scene after scene, like he's like this, this masculine man who fishes, who he's married, he's scamming his way to get out of paying taxes to the Romans, he's a fighter, he has this charisma that others just love being around. And the show, it creates this story around Peter who is struggling to pay his taxes, they say. He partners with the Romans to make up for not paying his taxes by turning people in who are fishing on the Sabbath that are getting tax-free fish. Now, most of all of what they portray in the show of Peter is quite biblical, actually, except that creative story about him partnering with the Romans. Honestly, it probably could have been something like that. Like, as taxation, it was insane back then, and everyone was struggling to pay them. We just don't know, though. That's not in the Bible. What we can know for sure about Peter was when he was called, he was a man and a fisher. You can see this. He had brothers. He was a fisherman. He was married. He had a mother-in-law. I don't know if you knew that or not, but when you get married, you get a mother-in-law. Um, he had a temper. He cut off some dude's ear when they like, started to have a heated conversation with Jesus. He's impatient. Like he, Jesus is teaching him a lesson. He tells things over and over, and you, you can just see he gets impatient. Um, he knows he has some flaws. He says out loud, I am a sinful man, and he's willing to work hard. You can see these things in Scripture. I feel like I, I just gave you like a dating post of Peter or maybe a Facebook profile of Peter there of a typical Midwestern man, right? Just add in like beer drinking or truck driving and shining, and he's literally the typical perfect Wisconsin man, right? I say that in jest, but it's also meant to be a reflection for a lot of us in the room right now. As you think about Peter, does that sound like you or someone you know? I mean, I can relate to some extent. I know I'm not perfect, but I have a a spouse and a family I have to provide for. I'm trying to get it done myself. I'm I'm running hot and, and I'm running impatient with things. Yet if you know me, you know I'm willing to work my butt off to get her done. 
You know I'm willing to fight for whatever it is until I fix the thing I'm going through. I'm not trying to brag, but I think a lot of us here, both men and women, are intensely driven this way. But if we're really like Peter, we have a downfall. We have a downfall. I feel we get ourselves in holes or situations like what Peter's wife calls him out on in this longer clip we're going to watch in a second. It's actually an imaginative scene of what maybe Peter was like before he met Jesus. Again, this conversation that we're going to watch in a second, it's not in the Bible, but it's one that speaks to the reality of where a lot of us maybe are at in our faith with God. Check out this scene. Uh, I can't do this anymore. Please. Please listen to me. I haven't been honest with you. There's no woman. It's not gambling. Look, a few days ago, I looked you in the eyes and I told you, I've got this. I lied. We're in trouble. We? What do you mean? I, I'm in trouble. But we, because I need a miracle or I can be in big trouble. I'm not a child. Stop speaking in riddles. Tell me what's happening. I could go to prison. We could lose the house. What? Look out in my ear. It's from a Roman. Simon! If I don't catch a ton of fish or get some help somehow, they'll arrest me. Or kill you. They are Romans. Yeah, so I need to go Go now. where? The fish. I gotta spend the rest of the week doing nothing but catch every fish I can and hope I can fix this somehow. Where is your faith? Hmm? What? You heard me. Isn't gonna get me more fish. I'm not talking about tonight. I am talking about long before tonight. You've been different. Before it was gambling, and now it's working and trying to do everything yourself. The popular Simon, fixing everything and charming everyone all by yourself and fishing on holy days without even thinking about it, with no respect for our God. Well, you have not pursued the Lord lately. Not like the man that I met. That is why you are stuck and you feel desperate and now you're off to try to fix it yourself again. I'm sorry. I know you're sorry. I'm glad you read my status with me. But no more talking. Maybe God can get your attention now. Peter's life, it's, it's built on this fight to provide mentality, this fight to survive, this fight to get through. Yet sometimes his fight makes him so distracted that he thinks he needs to do in a, of what he thinks he needs to do in a situation that he never actually looks to God. He never looks to what God actually wants from him. Again, I can relate to this. And before we look at Peter's transformation, I got to ask you, is that ever you? So focused on your ways of doing things, so ingrained in your consistent fight to provide and do and make and fix that maybe you're missing what God actually wants. Now, this is essentially the state Peter is in when he's called to follow Jesus. But 
I want you to know exactly how it, how it happens uh, in the Bible. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the biblical text of this. And a little information you need to know about the Bible is that there are four Gospels or four retellings of the story of the good news or of Jesus. And they are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're each written by different people, which brings different perspectives, different emphasis. Some are longer than others. Mark is actually the shortest, but many scholars, they, they believe Mark was the source that some of the other books used, and then the others added their stories or emphasis that really hit them uh, with some of the details they specifically remembered. But each gospel, though it says Peter was called by Jesus. But I think the clearest way to visualize it is looking at the books of John and Luke. But even before that, you need to know one other thing about Peter. Peter was Jewish. He was religious. And he was waiting for a Messiah, a Savior, to come, like all cultural and religious Jews at that time. For us, being religious these days, it feels kind of like a minority, but not then. It was typical. So he was well aware that this Jesus figure would come someday. But Peter, based off of some of the assumptions that we can make from Scripture, you can see he just wasn't that into religion. He didn't see the utmost purpose of pursuing God. I mean, you've been there, right? You can relate to that. Church and matters of faith and living out God's ways, you get them, you understand that they have some importance, but it's easy to see they don't have the most utmost importance in your life at times. I mean, I think a lot of us, here today even feel that way or think that way sometimes. And that was how Peter was before he met Jesus. But we see his call to God starts with Peter's brother, actually, Andrew, who was a disciple and follower of John the Baptist. John 1, verses 35 to 37, it says, The next day John the Baptist was standing with two of his followers. Jesus walked by. John looked at him and said, See the Lamb of God. John's two followers heard him say this and followed Jesus. So Peter's brother, Andrew, sees Jesus and goes to tell Peter about this. It says in John chapter 1, verses 40 to 41, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard John's word and had followed Jesus. The first thing he did was to find his brother Simon. He said to him, we have found the Christ. The Chosen shows Andrew and Peter's dialogue like this. Check it out. Simon, Simon, it's happened. It's happened, Simon. What are you talking about? The Lamb. Who takes away the sin of the world? Was he a big man? Big? No. Rich? No. It didn't seem he could bail us out of this debt to Rome? Maybe, maybe he was a doctor. No. So he can't help with Eden's Zima, who's now living with us, Andrew. That's just. So pardon me if I'm not exactly jumping out of my sandals because Creepy John pointed at someone. Creepy John. It's probably a true statement. Scripture says things like this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. It also says he wore camel's hair, leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. Sounds kind of creepy, I guess. But the descriptions Peter describes are worth noting of what he thinks maybe that Messiah looks like. It's worth noting that he says, like, is he rich? Is he strong? Is he big? Because many Jews at that time, they believed the Messiah was to come to rescue them from the Romans. So they were expecting a military leader, not some rabbi. 
But Peter sees Jesus for himself. He has his own interaction after this. The first interaction we can read that happens is, is in Luke 5. And I want to assume all the stuff I just showed you and mentioned to you happened prior. And then this. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. I feel the chosen portrays this scene really well. Check it out. No time for this, Andrew. It's him, Simon. It's the man. John said he's here right now. May I ask a favor? I'm teaching these people, and apparently they're having trouble hearing me. If I could stand on your boat, that would be helpful. They're having trouble hearing you, huh? Yes, yes, of course. Please, please, stand on our boat. Thank you. I need to go. I'm sorry. No time for this today. Stay a few moments longer. I have something for you. For me? I'm in a hurry. Yes, I know. After this, the passage says, When he had finished speaking, so Jesus finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Peter gets this interaction with Jesus, and he's like, We're tired. I got stuff to do. I'm busy. But something in him makes him submit. The verse actually says this, But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Check out the scene. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. Your word. It's full of fish. It's exciting. The passage, it says, When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He submits again by bowing and confessing. It continues, it says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Peter then submits again by following or giving up his ways. What's amazing about this, though, is if we are right about Peter's personality, he doesn't have a submissive type of personality. In today's context, like someone like Peter using the word submission means like a UFC chokehold or something like that. It means playing mercy and making the other person like submit or quarters and being like, I give up, right? 
But Peter goes on this journey of giving up more and more to Jesus. I mean, let's just recap just briefly. Like, he starts off listening to Jesus on his boat. I'm not a fisherman, but like, I can't imagine someone being like, hey, sure, come on to my boat and do some of your religious teaching. I can't imagine anybody would ever say that, or at least a fisherman wouldn't say that. Uh, he then tries something. Like, Peter tries the thing Jesus says to do. He lets down his nets. He then bows after he sees the fish come. I mean, as a person, I ain't bowing to anyone. I'm a martial artist, and you bow out of respect to others, but there needs to be respect there, which is exactly what Peter is showing through his bowing. He's showing he respects Jesus. He then confesses. He says, I am a sinful man. Like, he's not good enough on his own, doing it his own way. And then he follows, leaves his typical way of doing things behind and follows Jesus' ways. To do these things is a huge deal. You see, Peter was this kind of fairly successful man and navigating stuff on his own, hustling, a man, I can appreciate his work ethic, and I'm guessing you can too, but I'll remind you of the scene we started with. It's one that also comes with a life full of stress, unknowns, scrambling, busyness, entitlement, scheming, to a point that it could all crumble because it's all on his ability. I'm not proud of confessing this, but I get it. I get it of trying to just stay afloat on my own. It's a heavy load to feel like everything is up to you. And because I feel that way, I get myself into those type of holes. When I feel I'm so focused on getting out that I don't involve God in the process. I say or think things like, God doesn't understand. God doesn't understand. I need to do things this way for us to save enough money. Or God doesn't get, I need to do it this way for my relationship to last or move forward. God doesn't realize that we need this one thing to be happy. We just need it. God doesn't care about this thing, but we need to get through this. And we're going to do it without God. And if you're like me or Peter, do you allow God to show up actually? Or are you so consumed on your own ways? As part of the series, we're also looking at the documentary that The Chosen did on Gen Z. Each week, I've mentioned how the show has connected with multiple generations, but specifically, they've seen success with Gen Z, ages 10 to 26. Gen Z is the least church generation ever, so this is really great news. But as part of this documentary they did on The Chosen and these nine Gen Zers, the show uh, watches how they interact while watching the show to see how they respond to some of the stories and things that happen in it. And none of these kids, uh, or none of these, uh, like, these Gen Zers claim to be Christians prior, but they do have an impact with what they're watching. So check out how they react to Peter's story. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am, the things I've done. Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. Fish are nothing. You have much bigger things ahead of you, Simon, son of Jonah. I will make you fishers of men. From now on, I will make you fishers of men. And you are to gather as many as possible, all kinds. I will sort them out later. Episode in particular, because you don't know what lies ahead, you don't know what path you're on. I'm a very what will be will be kind of mm -hmm. person. Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> yeah. That's what they say anyway. Simon really shows, is like really all of us, and shows how small brained we are. Like when Andrew had a lot of faith, 
And Simon was like, no, no, there's no way. I'm busy. And that was so relatable. And he didn't even say yeah. I'm always like, I'm busy. Where, you, where you're at that point where you yeah. want to give you're up. Like, I've, yeah. heard, I've heard everything. That, yeah. that scene where he was on the boat and he was like yelling at God. Yeah. Like I've had yes. moments mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah. At that moment when he when he surrendered, really is what it yeah. was. When he surrendered and he and he was able to be vulnerable and and just say, you know what, I've 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 had it is that's when that's when people really hear you. It is funny though how it still took Jesus like speaking his language, like giving him fish, which mm -hmm. was nothing compared to everything Jesus could do. But that was what finally turned Simon, you know, like something him succeeding in some small thing. I love how they mention Peter got something from God. I want to say it was both something tangible, fish is kind of what she mentions, and I also want to say direction, a life with God, not just on his own. Yet what was needed from him before he got either of those things was to say yes first. He had to submit to God first. It's so true for a lot of us. Sometimes God gives us what we need before he gives us what we want or what we're looking for. And for Peter, I think what was needed was a sign. I think if, if none of that would have happened, Jesus' words probably would have just been mumble-jumble religion to Peter. Before we start to get really practical with what we can learn from Peter in his initial walk with Jesus, I want to talk about, uh, just briefly, the next steps Peter took as a follower after making a decision to follow Jesus. Because, I mean, I think a lot of us are there right now. We've made a decision to follow Jesus, but then what? We see the steps Peter went through prior to then a physical decision of following and living with Jesus. But after this moment, he's not like a perfect Christian. He's not in full understanding of all things faith. He's not super studious. He's not less tempered. He's still impatient. He's not any less flawed of a person. The moment he starts following Jesus, he's still all those things. Peter just made a decision, but the decision was to continually walk with Jesus, which means to continually submit to what Jesus wanted and did. I mean, if you know scripture or you know a little bit more about Peter, you know right away Peter has to give up time from his wife and family because Jesus doesn't stay put in one city. He goes from one place to the next. You see that as a disciple, Peter wants to fight. He thought that's what Jesus came to do, and he thought he was coming to save the Jews and start a revolution, yet this is absolutely not what Jesus did. Peter wanted to correct the religious order, like, well, let's, let's, let's correct them immediately, but that's not Jesus' approach. Peter didn't want to spend time doing the servant-like things or the, the everyday life things with others, but that was what Jesus wanted to do. Peter wanted to make noise and change things the way his personality was before following Jesus. But to physically follow Jesus, it meant he needed to continually show his action of submitting to Jesus' lead. And that daily decision for years is what gets Peter to living out his name, to being the rock. Jesus knew he'd be years later. With all this said, I think Peter teaches us some things about both starting to follow Jesus and continuing to follow Jesus. Whether you're a Christian in the room or not, I think we all have a next step that we can learn from Peter to getting closer to being a rock. The first is be open to hearing God. Peter was open to it. He lets Jesus on his boat. He listens to Jesus' request to put down his nets, and he did. Today, you might be at that starting point and think being here, or I think being here 
in this room shows you are already taking that first step, as Peter did. You're here. You're listening to Jesus' teachings. Secondly, submit. Peter had to make a decision that this guy's legit. He's real. His teachings are truth. He's God. He's greater than me. Today, you might be at that point. You're, you're maybe testing some of those things, some of his teachings. You know there are some costs to follow him. You maybe don't love all of them, but there are some you just can't deny that's true about God. You know if he's God, he's going to lead you to a life of how it should be. But to get there, you know you're going to have to submit, which is a sacrifice. If that's you, I want to encourage you to keep going. Keep listening to God's ways and teachings. Keep submitting to even the stuff you don't love. And I promise you, your life will forever change in the positive. The third is continually submit. Peter made a decision, but then had a lot to learn. A lifetime of learning. You maybe have submitted to God once. You told God you needed him. But are you an active follower of him? It needs to be a daily choice, a daily action. You don't just know God and then you're set. In Jesus' time, there were religious leaders who, who didn't like what Jesus taught and advocated for. And they were the religious leaders who didn't like what Jesus taught. So they knew God's ways. They knew God's ways well. They felt confident and, and they felt they knew already. Instead of continually being open to submitting to God, to changing their ways, to listening to where God wants them to go, they didn't submit. There's a famous American proverb that says, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Who's heard of it before? Or how about this one, might makes right? Okay, no one? (laughs) Meaning those that are the loudest or the strongest win. To come across a bit harsh, it's something you and I As people, we have learned to do and be because it's pretty true in our society. The loudest tends to be the one who comes across winning the verbal arguments. The strongest ones do have the perceived upper hand. To be a bit vulnerable with you, I notice I naturally want to go there often, even though it's not a desire of mine. At home, I've recognized when I get frustrated, I raise my voice. It gets elevated because I'm so ingrained from our culture that the loudest and the strongest wins. I know it's wrong, but it's what I've learned in my years of life that works. It's what I've been used to my whole life. Culturally, it's what wins, being loud and strong. Personally, loud and strong, it's what wins. Relationally, being loud and strong, it's what wins. Even religiously, it's what wins sometimes. But just because it wins doesn't mean it's right. The religious leaders of Jesus' time, they were the loudest and most powerful. They won with what was in the control of human ability, putting him to death and silencing his ways, and they had this perceived public victory. But the reason I tell you all this is if you're a Christian in the room, your goal shouldn't be to be like a Pharisee or a religious leader or the strongest or the loudest. Don't miss this. Just because it works or wins doesn't mean it's what Jesus wants from you. You aren't called to be that from Jesus. You aren't even called to fight the battle of life on your own, of figuring out your marriage struggles or money struggles or or relationship problems or emotional health struggles. You aren't called to be a DIYer on your own just doing whatever works in the world and lets you win. You aren't called to have it together. You're called to be one who follows Jesus. And to do that is a daily journey of 
following Jesus in his ways, his actions, thinking how he would handle situations and submit then to doing them, even if it loses, even if it's quiet, even if it's perceived as weak. The decision happened for Peter in the beginning of his walk, and it also was a continual decision for him years to follow. The same can be for you. For you today, maybe that means you're the one who consistently has to choose to be humble at work, even in your situation that you feel you're the most respected one or should be the most respected one, the most served one, but you choose to be humble. Maybe for you, you're the one who knows how to win. You know the right thing to say or you just know exactly what you should do to get what you want, but you choose instead to do the right thing. Maybe you're the one who can steal all the attention by being the loudest, but you feel it just isn't right in some situations, so you hold back. What's it for you that you have to submit to in God's ways? Peter, I think, would have liked this phrase, might makes right, at least early on Peter. But he was learning that's not the way with Jesus. He had to learn to change and continually submit. The last thing Peter's uh, following of Jesus shows us is we are to guide others in their journey. Peter's steps to follow Jesus, they were like rapid fire. confess and then he decided to be with him every day basically he knew life change he knew from going from a fisher to the rock for god and it like happened in like a day for some it could be like this for others it could be longer honestly for most the steps are very similar it's just slower today which is totally fine there are some people here who are just starting by letting Jesus' teaching be in their life by being present. That's an amazing step for a while. There are some people here who respect Jesus and are just listening and, and trying Jesus' ways in their lives once, twice, maybe a few times. That's a step. That's amazing. There are some people here who are ready to bow and confess. Then you've, Maybe you've done that even and you said your need for him. You've said, I want to follow you. I'm a sinner. That's a step, just like Peter and then there are some who are following him daily, actively making a decision to submit to Jesus. No matter where you're at in that progression, if you're taking steps, you are being obedient to God. If you're not a Christian in the room, I hope you keep stepping. If you are a Christian in the room, you are to help others take their next step and not discourage them wherever they're at in that process. As I get closer to wrapping up here, we can see that Peter was the self-sufficient do-it-yourselfer yet he still chose to follow Jesus. He had to submit to God's ways and continue to submit to them daily. Will you do that and keep walking with Jesus? I'm going to ask God to help us do that this week. If you want that, you can pray with me as we ask for him to help us walk the way Peter walked. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us an example like Peter, someone who's maybe headstrong, a, a do-it-yourselfer, a, a, a strong personality. But God, seeing him have this life transformation, we want that same thing. God, we just pray that you make that really easy for us. Help us figure out how to do that like Peter did. Help us submit. Help us continually submit. Help us be in pursuit of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.